0: We are starting a brand new series, 2019. We're starting the series 40 Days of Prayer. Now we have borrowed this series from Saddleback Church in America, which is the church that is led by Rick Warren. And he has written all of this material. He's written the stuff that we're going to speak on Sundays. He's written some midweek stuff. And he's also written um, a very swanky uh, 40 Days of uh, Prayer journal. Okay, now we have done a few of Rick Warren's campaigns over the years and they are excellent. In fact, the first time I joined C3, we did 40 Days of Community. That was the first uh, uh, series that we'd, I'd ever been part of and I think that was about 14 or 15 years ago. So he is consistently producing some great material and we're really excited about this series. Now this journal, before all of you Taipei people are really panicking and thinking, I'm not quite sure, I haven't got it today to fill it in, it's okay, relax, okay? The material for this journal, we're going to start next week. Okay, This week is an introductory week, but that does mean that if you don't get it this week, next week when it comes to the sermon notes section, you're going to be sitting here having to write it on a piece of paper and then going home and transcribing it into this so that you have it all in one piece because I know there are people in the audience who would do that, who who like it all to be neat and tidy. You rewrite shopping lists and things like that to make them all look lovely. So make sure you get this this week. Um, If you want to get it, you can get it in the lounge upstairs. It's £8 and um, let me let you in a secret, you can't get it on Amazon. So don't do what I do. I'm sure none of you do this. I think, oh, that's an interesting book. I'll get it cheap on Amazon. Does anyone do that here? No. You've obviously got lots of money, Um, but you can't actually get this on Amazon. We've ordered it directly from Saddleback, so you do need to get it here. Get it this week. Um, And the reason why I'm saying that is because we want you to get the most out of this series as possible. And what I want to share about today is really to do with laying a bit of a foundation and a preparation time for us as we go into this 40 days of prayer. Because how many of you know when you want to do anything significant in life, you have to take some time out to prepare for it? You know, when you have a baby, it's wise to prepare for having a baby. Although very little in life can prepare you for having a baby, at least you feel slightly better that you tried. Okay, you know, if you're going to start a new job... You want to prepare for that job, don't you? You read around it, you spend some time looking at it. If you're going to embark on a healthy eating diet, you spend some time reading about that. It's no different when we come to these series that we do in church. We want to make sure that we're prepared for it and we want to make sure that um, we've spent some time thinking about how we're going to engage with the material. So that's what I really want to do today. Um, Saddleback, the church in America, has sermons that are an hour long. Okay, I feel I should let you know that because we've got quite a lot to get through and I'm not going to do it in an hour. So make sure you're taking notes. Uh, They do say that 95% of what you hear alone you forget within 72 hours. So please take some notes for my sake uh, so that you can look at it and, and think about it throughout the week. But I want to ask you this one question right at the start. And this is really what we're going to ask over the next sort of half an hour is this. Do you really want to grow up? Do you really want to grow up? Because everything that we're looking at with regards to prayer, 40 days of prayer, is really all about spiritual growth. It's all about growing and becoming more of the person that we want to be, more of the person that God intends us to be. But it really starts with that question, do we, do you really want to grow up? And it's quite a straightforward answer, really. It's really a yes or no question, but the ramifications of our answers are quite big. And so I want to read to you in uh, Ephesians chapter 4. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, there's just a couple of verses here which are key for what we want to look at today. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 to 15 says this. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head." This is Christ. We will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching. But instead, we'll grow up into Christ. You see, as we think about growing up, the ultimate picture of maturity, the ultimate picture of being grown up is Jesus. And so that is our aim. That's what we're looking for. That's what we want to be. And do you know, I believe that it is natural for us to grow up. It is natural for us to grow up. And yet there's a phrase, isn't there, which I find really cringy. It's one of those really cheesy phrases that people think is hilarious as if you've never heard it before um, when they tell you it. But you see it on uh, birthday cards. Growing old is inevitable, but growing up is optional. Have you heard that before? And people deliver it as if to say, I've got one for you now. Wait, you'll never have heard this one before. And then you have to pretend to laugh and ha ha ha. But it really isn't actually that funny. But a lot of people live their lives by that. We know a lot of people, when you think about it, who, who they go, you know, oh, growing up uh, is, is optional. And you know what? Those kind of people, they, they're great for a night out. They're great for fun. They're great for kind of going out for a, a dinner and having some chat with. But hey, I wouldn't want them to be my best friend and walk me through some stuff. I definitely wouldn't want to marry them. So there's a little bit of free marriage advice if you're looking for a partner. Grow up. Because like people do not want to marry someone who's not grown up. Um, but that... Some people live their lives by this adage, and uh, I was thinking about it recently, and then I read this article kind of randomly um, about Enid Blyton, and our backstory to this is we have two girls, Simon and I do, and our oldest is three and a half, and she loves Enid. Enid Blyton stories absolutely loves them. Now I really realise that Enid Blyton is quite old-fashioned, and her attitude to uh, women's roles in the home is is very questionable. In fact, I I, I don't really know what the women did then because they had nannies and all that, and the dads never around. Um, but it's quite in it. But that passes our three-year-old by, and she just enjoys the stories. So we were reading this story the other day, and I was intrigued by Enid Blyton because I kid you not, the story that we read the other day was about Betsy. Betsy May, who's her absolute favourite character, and there was a whole story that Enid Blyton had written about Betsy May going to post a letter, but the climax of the story was she went to post a letter and couldn't reach the post box, and that was it. That was pretty much the whole story, and I'm sitting there thinking, how did this woman have the audacity to take this to a publisher and say, I think this could go really well? Um, but I looked, at, I looked at Brooke and she's like, oh my word, mummy, can we go post a letter? Do you think I'll reach it? And I was like, no, you won't, you three. You're like that high there, you won't. And, um, you know, I was just sitting there thinking, how is this woman managed? You know, I'm sitting there thinking this is the most boring story I've ever read. It doesn't go anywhere. There's no plot development. There's no character. And yet, somehow, Enid Blyton has tapped into the mind of a three-and-a-half-year-old and has just told a story that is totally engaged with her. But I remember, I don't know whether any of you have seen the film called Enid, which has got Helena Bonham Carter in it, and it tells the story of kind of Enid's, Enid Blyton's life. And actually, it's quite a tragic story because she was incredible at capturing children's imaginations. She famously said that the only critics that she listens to are those that are under the age of 12, she never listened to any critics above the age of 12. Um, and she just, she just knows how to, 80-odd years on, her stories are still engaging children. There's something about her that she can just connect with children. But when you look at her life story, at the age of 12, her father, who she loved and worshipped and was the, the centre point of her world, walked out on the family. And kind of critics would say, commentators would say, and indeed her own children would say that she became emotionally stunted as a 12-year-old. And she never really grew up beyond that point. And so actually, she was amazing at writing these stories for kids because she kind of still was a kid. But when you look at her own personal life, she wasn't a great mother to her children. She was absent. She would read stories to her fans and shut her own two girls out. She couldn't relate to them. She couldn't connect with them. She uh, had a disaster with her first marriage and a really tragic story because, because she struggled to truly grow up. And the bit that really got me was that Helena Bonham Carter said, I found this quote, and in order to get into to, to her kind of character, I wrote, wrote this quote over my script, and it said this, Growing old is inevitable, but growing up is optional. You see, the thing is, church, growing up is optional, but the consequences for, growing, for not growing up are costly, the consequences for not growing up are costly and i'm not saying when we talk about growing up that we need to be serious and that we need to be boring and that we need to be you know cynical and skeptical and mistrusting of people that's not growing up but what i'm talking about is 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 growing up and being spiritually strong and being individuals that aren't knocked about by the waves as it says in ephesians but we stay strong And some of you will say, oh, well, it says in the Bible about having a a childlike faith, Rihanna. Yeah, it does say about having a childlike faith. And absolutely, we do need to have a childlike faith. We do need to approach God and say, God, I don't understand it all, but I'm believing and trusting in you. I know that you're going to get it sorted. We do need to have a childlike faith. But I can't find anywhere in the Bible where it says we should have a childlike wisdom. We can have a childlike faith, but I don't believe God tells us to have a childlike wisdom. In fact, there's an entire book, Proverbs, that is dedicated to saying to us, pursue wisdom. It actually says that wisdom will preserve and protect you. Okay, when King Solomon was said, God said to him, What do you want? He said, I need wisdom. And 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 God basically said, You have desired an incredible thing. We're not supposed to have a childlike approach to wisdom. And so, yes, growing up may be optional. But I tell you, it's costly if we don't grow up. You know, Rick Warren would say that most of the problems you and I face in our lives are due to immaturity in our faith and in in our perspective of God. That is quite a bold statement to make, isn't it? Most of the problems you and I face in life are linked to our lack of maturity. Now, some of the problems that we face in life don't fit under that category. I don't think if you're struggling with illness or disease that that, that, that's not due to our immaturity but I think actually there's a lot of drama that we face in our lives that if we're honest if we had a bit more of a God perspective on it if we saw things the way God saw things if we embraced the way God would tell us to handle people or to handle a situation or to forgive then actually we would have a lot less drama in our lives. Maybe that's just me. Anybody else relate? Anybody else, if you're serious and you look at your problems, you think, actually, I'm probably some of the cause of that. It's not always the enemy. It's not always, you know, other people, sometimes it's me. You know, can you imagine having, I always want to sing Mary, Mary J. Blige, No More Drama, whenever I say drama, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I'd kill it. Anyway, <laughs> um, you know, I wonder if 2019 some of the goals that we can set in 2019, rather than say it's going to be the best year yet, why don't we say, this year I'm going to have less drama. Wow, it's not quite such a romantic goal, but I tell you, by the end of next year, you'd feel a lot better about yourself if you had a lot less drama. Because you and I are not supposed to stay the same. A year ago, this time a year ago, I was eight months pregnant. Okay, if I was going to stay the same and never move on, I'd be 20 months pregnant now and probably dead. You know, the first time around, I was nearly 10 months pregnant, and that was horrific. We're not supposed to say the same. We're supposed to move on. Life is supposed to progress. You and I were meant to grow up, okay? We're meant to grow up. Now, do you know this phrase, growing old is inevitable, and growing up is optional? I actually would prefer it the other way around, because I don't really want to grow old, I don't want to grow old in my mindset. I know my body will grow old, but I always want to be exposing myself to new things, learning new things, keeping my head going. I don't want to grow old, but I do want to grow up. I don't want to be dealing with the problems that I had when I was 20. I made stupid mistakes then. I did some stupid stuff. When I look back, I think, oh my gosh, did I really say that? Who was that person? I don't want to be stuck where I was. So actually, for me, I want to grow up but I want to keep a freshness and a youth about me in terms of the way that I think. So I'm going to ask you again, do you want to grow up? Do you want to grow up? If you're saying no, then you're not going to get a lot of this series and I'd keep you eight quid for the journal because you're probably not going to use it very much. But if you're saying yes, then I've got six spiritual laws that I want to talk to you about. About six spiritual laws that will help you grow. Just as there's physical laws in the universe, there's the law of gravity, there's the law of things like... um, a Brownian motion that you might have remembered from these different kinds of physical laws, and there are also spiritual laws. And I love that God doesn't make it so mysterious for us to grow. He gives us some really simple kind of key things that we can do. And we're just going to explore these uh, over the next um, sort of half hour or so. So the first thing is this. We grow when we feed on God's Word. When we feed on God's Word. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because I think the way that we can sometimes view God's Word is in a kind of transactional manner. I've been really challenged recently about the whole area of food because how many of you... Um, if you've got young kids, find dinner time is the highlight of your day with young children. How many of you think, you know, the most relaxing time, the most chilled, lovely, energizing time is dinner time. When I get to feed my children the delicious homemade fare that I have made and they always eat it and ask, "Mummy, how did you make this? Can you please make me some more? How many of you find that that is your life right now? Oh, oh, one person. That's great. Okay. Great. For a lot of people, dinner time is not that fun. Okay. And um, (laughs) with with our toddler, she used to eat everything. And then she went through this stage and she's like, no, I know I ate broccoli last week, but I'm not eating it this week. Like, who do you think I am? Um, And so (laughs) um, I got bought subtly for Christmas from my mum, uh, a book called French Kids Eat Everything. And it's really interesting, it's a great book, it's really a, kind of like a memoir really. Um, and it's written by this lady who's North American, moves to France and is just kind of commentating on the difference in cultures with regards to food. And she says that, you know, where she was brought up in North America, the, the, the kind of attitude to food was very much a food is fuel. Calories in, calories out. It's just kind of there to keep you going and, uh, and that's kind of all that it is. But when she moved to France, she realized that there was a completely different cultural aspect to this, that actually they don't think of it at all as fuel, and that would be an anathema. They think of it as nourishment. And so dinner time is all about sitting down and nourishing, not just your body, but actually interacting with people and feeding and, and feeding your conversation and all that kind of stuff. And I really started to think about this, and I thought, God, you know, so often we approach God's word in that kind of transactional fashion fuel, calories in, calories out. But actually, when you start to want to sit down and have family meals and you enjoy them and you you gather around the table, then that is something that you look forward to because it nourishes you so much more than just giving you the fuel that you need to get through a few tasks. It's far more than that. And I believe that if we start to approach the Word of God in that sense, in terms of nourishment, rather than calories in, calories out, then we will begin to see that actually we can feed off the Word of God daily. See, if you've got that transactional approach to the Word of God, then actually you'll sort of think, well, if I gorge on a Sunday morning in the preach, then that will probably last me enough calories for the week. But we know that's not healthy when it comes to normal healthy eating. We need to be eating regularly. And that's exactly what we need to be doing with the Word of God. And I don't know how it works, but I tell you, it does work. The other other week, last week, I had a situation. And it's not a major thing, but I thought, "I I was overly judgmental in that situation and that wasn't necessary. I was talking to Simon about it and I was quite judgmental about this situation and I felt convicted and I went to pray to God and I said, God, I'm, I'm really sorry. Please forgive me for being judgmental in, in that situation and uh, then I went to read my Bible and I don't believe in lucky dip reading in your Bible. I think you need to read and read through. God is bigger than where your reading plan is at. He can speak to you in your reading plan. So I was reading Luke at the moment and um, I opened it up. No joke. I just been praying, God, I'm so sorry, I'm so judgmental. <laughs> Open it up. Do not judge. <laughs> okay. I was like, thank you, Lord. Um, uh, it's going to put you off ever reading your Bible ever again. It's not normally quite as direct as that. Um, but you know, I don't know how it works, but it works because it's living, it's active, it's breathing, and it can speak to you. So I just want to encourage you. We grow when we feed on God's work. It helps us in every aspect of our lives. So how do we feed on God's word? I've got a few things for you six things. We feed when we hear it. But as I've said to you, you forget 95% of what you hear in 72 hours. So it's not enough. We grow when we read it. We grow when we study it. We grow when we memorize it. We grow when we meditate on it. And we grow when we apply it. And Rick Warren does this really powerful thing that he says, if you just have your word and you just hear it and you read it, you can just lose your grip really, really easily. You can, those waves come and you just fall apart. But if you hear it, you read it, you study it, you memorise it, you meditate in your palm, you apply it, then you have got such a grip on stuff that when the world comes, when the, the storms come to toss you and turn you around, then there's nothing that is shaking that because you've got a really good grip on the Word of God. So the way that we grow, the first way, is we feed on the Word of God. Secondly, We grow when we learn in different ways. We grow when we learn in different ways. Each and every one of us is completely unique in the way that we learn things. And I just want you to think a little bit about something that, as always, you can never get out of your head. And think, well, why is it that I remember that? Because the chances are the reason why you remember it so well is probably because you remember it in the way that you best remember things. So some of you actually might love auditory learning. You might love sitting and listening to a podcast or hearing somebody speak. That might be a way that you really, really engage with material. Others of you, you might love talking things through. You might be more of an oral processor and actually in order to learn something, you need to be in a discussion group or you need to chew things over with people. I know for myself, I'm not particularly an auditory learner. If I sit and listen to something, often it goes in one ear and out the other ear, which is why I have to write things down, because I am a very visual learner. So when I think about sitting an exam, when I used to sit my exams uh, at uni and stuff, I could see my pages. I could see, oh, the answer to this question, is um, bottom right hand corner. I'd put a little cloud around it because I knew it would be really important. I knew it would come up in the exam. It's on the sort of fourth page of my notes and I'd have all this thing. My only problem was, because I don't have a photographic memory, I could never remember what it said, but I could tell you where it was. And that's why I really struggle when I change Bible, because like, I know, not in this Bible, this is my old, an old Bible, but I know, for example, in the Bible, I just got a new Bible. But in my previous Bible, I would know, for example, oh, Ephesians, on the left-hand side of a page, the first chapter is chapter 2, verse 10, which is one of my favourite verses, because I'm, I'm a visual learner. And so that's the way I need to learn. And the way that we grow in anything, but particularly even in spiritual stuff, sometimes we can forget to apply these principles to our spiritual growth, is we need to find out how we learn best. And over these 40 days, what we're going to do is we are going to try and make sure that there's something for everybody in that. So you've got the auditory kind of what we're doing right now. If you're an oral processor, then you've got your uh, C3 groups, your smaller group settings in the midweek. If you're visual, then there's more material that will be covered in those um, midweek meetings, which is going to be mainly presented uh, by Rick Warren talking in a video, so that's quite visual. You've got this um, journal, if you're kind of more of a doer and a kinesthetic person, you can write and you've got a, a way of applying things. And so we really are hoping that every single person will find something that will um, mesh with the way that they're wired and that you can take something away from that. So we grow when we realize that we learn in different ways. The third thing, we grow when we develop spiritual habits. We grow when we develop spiritual habits. Do you know, our habits are what form our character. You could describe our character as the sum of all our habits. Our character is not the sum of all of our intentions. If only. It's not the sum of all of our best wishes, it's the sum of what we actually do. That's what our character is. And if we've got our great habits, which give us a good character, then I believe that with God we can have a great destiny. And one of the ways that you and I grow best is by looking at developing some spiritual habits. You know, when you look at people who are successful and you compare them with people who haven't been as successful... Often there's not actually that much difference between them. I've come across some incredibly intelligent people who've never really made it. And then I've come across some people who don't seem quite as intelligent. And they have made it. They've been super successful. And when you boil it down, when you get down to what it's all about, often it's because those people who are successful have understood the power of forming habits. And they've understood the power of of really getting some great practices in their lives. So if that is perhaps somebody in leadership, they understand the habit of always exposing themselves to different ways of thinking, of always sort of getting alongside people and thinking, actually, what can I learn from them? You know, habits aren't just about things that we do. It can be a habit of thought. So maybe they always think, actually, I'm not going to allow myself to go down that route of negativity. I'm going to go down this route. But often, that is the thing that is the difference between a successful person and an unsuccessful person. But here's the thing, how many of us are great at doing new habits? Not many of us. And that is the thing, you see, it's simple, but to instigate and have good habits in our lives actually costs. And here's where the rubber hits the road of when we ask the question, do we really want to grow up? Because yes, we do, but here it's like, well, okay, well, here's what we've got to get on and do. And somehow people who are successful in life have just said, well, I'm going to get on and do it. I'm going to get on and do it. So we need to develop some great spiritual habits if we want to grow. And I'm just going to give you four that you could perhaps commit to just over the next six weeks. Studies say that it takes six weeks to, to form a habit. Personally, I think it takes longer than six weeks, but that's perhaps just me. Maybe you can form habits in six weeks. I find I can get in the swing of it in six weeks, but after six weeks, it's still easy to get out of it. Um, but anyway, here's some habits that I think uh, would be great for us to to form. First one is to commit to come into a large group like this. To commit to come every Sunday over this series to hear what we're speaking about. You can come to the nine thirty, the eleven thirty, the five thirty, but get in the habit of it to come along. The second thing that you can get in the habit of doing is getting along not just to a larger group but to a smaller group like the C3 groups that we run. Commit to do that now. It's a great time to join when it's all brand new in terms of uh, material. And there's lots of people that will be joining for new so you probably won't be the only one that's new in a group. And uh, get a habit of getting to something midweek so that you can connect with that. The third thing, that we could do as a habit over these next six weeks is a daily quiet time with God. A daily quiet time with God. And that's where the journal will really help us because it's got some scriptures, it's got some questions. It's really kind of easy in that sense for us to get into that habit. And the fourth thing, this is what's really challenged me, is to memorize scripture. I'd like to challenge you to pick a verse each week and try and learn over the course of 40 days, six new Bible verses six new bible verses you know this is the sort of thing that they do in kids church but we forget to do it as adults because we think oh kind of that's what you do at kids church or sunday school and i was really convicted about it because actually brooke is coming home with memory verses and so we've got to learn the memory verses if we're going to test her in them or, or ask her what they is and she comes up to us randomly and goes what's the memory verse Mum?" and i'm like oh ah, titus three verse one always remember to do what is good well done That's what she says. And then she walks off and I'm like, I should be asking you this. Um, But, you know, kids are doing it. But I tell you what, if you learn six key verses over these next six weeks, I guarantee you, when the waves come to toss you, when you feel like you're going to be shaken, it will come back to you and you'll say, but you know what, I know God will work all things together for the good of those that love Jesus and are called according to his purposes. And you'll remember things like, but I know that that he has plans to prosper us, not to harm us, plans to give us a hope and a future. I can do all things through God who strengthens me. And these are the things that we need to get within us. It sounds childish, but that's where it's a childlike faith, but it's actually a profound grown-up wisdom. Okay, so let's, so let's look at some of that. So we grow when we develop spiritual habits. Fourthly, we grow when we help each other grow. We grow when we help each other grow. I don't know about you, but um, when I think about myself on my own, I, I can actually have great patience. And I can be super loving and super kind and all that kind of stuff um, in isolation. But actually, it's a lot more difficult when there's other people around, isn't it? Life would have been so much easier without people. And um, I, always used, I used to work as a doctor and I used to say, oh gosh, if it wasn't for patients, life would be great. But obviously, we'd also be on the unemployment line. So you kind of, that's life in general, isn't it? We are meant to do life in community. And uh, I don't know about you, but I've realised that until there's somebody up close and personal with me, I don't realise how much of a uh, kind of stuff that I thought I'd dealt with, I haven't dealt with. When I went to uni, it was great. And then I moved in with some friends and I realised, whoa, you don't live like I live at all. Like, you're, you're, you're really messy. I realised I had issues with cleanliness, as in people who aren't clean. Like, <laughs> and I, like, and, and I had, like, no, I'm still clean. I haven't, you know. But um, you, you get like this mirror up up in front of you showing you stuff. Before you get married, sometimes you think you're a certain way and then you get married and you kind of get told all these things. Like, I thought I was great in the mornings until I got married and then I realised like, I wasn't. It took me a few years to realise how dreadful I was. Um, but then, you know, you kind of have this, this revelation of who you are because we're supposed to do life in community. And then you think before you have children, you think, oh, you know what, I'm pretty patient. I'm pretty this, I'm pretty that. And you have a baby, and to be honest, babies, you know, bless them, it's not their fault. They just need feeding and all that kind of stuff. But then the child starts to talk, and you realise, like, they can just find every single fault, insecurity, impatience, and they can just prod it and prod it and prod it. And then you realise, Lord, I cannot do this on my own. I need you. I need you. Oh, my word. Um, and you get like that. And, and, and that's the thing, because we are supposed to do life in community. You know, in other religions, as they get more holy and more like the deity that they're looking for, the, the, per, the people withdraw, the holy people withdraw, and they don't do life in community. But when we look at Jesus... He was accused of being a party animal because he was with people. And that's what we need to do. You know, the greatest lesson you and I need to learn is how to love properly. How can we love on our own? How can you love effectively on your own? You know, it's like reading a manual about how to drive a car and never driving it. You have to get into community. And if we're going to grow spiritually, you and I, whether we want to or not, we need to be in community. Because I tell you what, what I've noticed when I'm in community is somebody else is usually way better at the thing I'm struggling with. So I can go to them and say, how are you so good at being patient? Tell me what, what, what God's shown you. Tell me how I can be better about that. And who knows that you might have a gift or a grace for something that actually somebody else needs to learn from. You're needed in that setting as much as you need other people. So if we're gonna grow, we need to get into some kind of smaller group setting. And what better one than a C3 group? You know, if you're youth, you need to get yourself down to youth. If you've got young adults we have got connect groups in there. The C3 groups, you can go to the lounge afterwards and you can join up one for one. I'm gonna put a challenge to you that if you're sitting there saying, I don't wanna join, because of XYZ, I'm going to say to you that probably the reason you don't want to join is the very reason you should join one. Okay? So that's my challenge to you. If you want to grow, you can't do it in isolation. You've got to do it with each other. Fifthly, we grow when we expect to grow. What are you expecting for this series? If you're just thinking about turning up and not really engaging with things, and you think, well, I'm probably not going to finish it, I might not even bother coming every week, then you're not going to get much out of it. Because often we get what we profess in life. And so it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you're not going to expect anything from this series, if you're not going to expect to grow in your prayer life, if you're not going to expect to grow spiritually, then you probably won't. But I want to challenge you to think and spend some time over this next week, preparing and thinking, what is it that I am expecting to grow in? What is it that I am expecting God to break through for? You know, I am looking forward to hearing stories from people of breakthroughs that they've had over this series. I'm looking forward to hearing the testimonies where they've seen God come through. What is it that you're expecting God for? Do you know, maybe you're expecting God to come through for your marriage. Maybe you're expecting God to come through for your kids. Maybe you've got a situation at work and you're thinking, I just don't know how that's going to be resolved. But maybe you're expecting that this is going to have breakthrough over this next period. Maybe there's family situations. Maybe there's relationships, friendships that you're believing. Actually, I'm going to believe over the next six weeks to see progress made in that. We are believing that there is going to be breakthrough because prayer works. Prayer changes things. Prayer makes a difference. And as we get into that and we study it more, we're believing for breakthrough. So what are you expecting over these next few weeks? What are you expecting? One of the ways that we want to facilitate us to have faith, facilitate us to grow in faith, is that we are going to do a fast as a church. We're doing a fast from the 4th of February to the 25th of February. It's a 21-day fast. And we'd invite all of you to join in with that because we believe that fasting can see breakthrough when we fast about things. But forgive me if I'm teaching some of you to suck eggs, but I'd like to just take a couple of minutes to talk about fasting. And the stuff that I'm going to talk about here is basically um, what we cover in Deeper Track. It's the same material that we cover in Deeper Track. Um, and that's kind of a, a, a course that looks at spiritual practices and disciplines. So it covers this in a lot more detail. So get yourself booked in on the Deeper Track if you want to learn a little bit more. But I'm just going to give you a one on one on fasting, if that's okay. So I want to tell you about fasting. What is fasting? Because I've heard a few people talking about different things, and I thought, let's, let's kind of clarify and, and, and get it all a little bit um, a little bit clearer for people. What is fasting? Well, fasting is abstaining from food. Very simple. Abstaining from food. And the motive to do that, the motive to do that is worship. Simple. The motive to do that is to worship Jesus. The motive is not because everyone else is doing it. It's not to lose weight. It's not to go on a healthy diet. It's because we want to worship Jesus, okay? That is what fasting is about. It's about not having some kind of food. And the reason why we believe it's powerful is because you and I are made up of body, soul, and spirit. And so often in our lives, our lives are dictated to by our body, by our flesh. You know, we get up in the morning, we're hungry, we eat. There we are being sort of ruled by our flesh, if you like. In the morning, we have our normal kind of muffin and coffee. It's flesh. But when we fast, when we abstain from some kind of food, what we're saying to ourselves is, "Uh -uh, actually, flesh is not always in control. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It's saying, what my dad would say, which sounds very kind of uh, old-fashioned, that the Spirit is in ascension. The Spirit is in ascension. The Spirit is kind of the foremost, and it's saying to the flesh, actually, you are just the flesh. That's what fasting does. Now, I want to talk to you about three different kinds of fasting that we see in the Bible. The first type of fasting that we see in the Bible is a supernatural fast, which is when they go without bread and water. Okay, Moses is a classic of this, 40 days without bread and water. That's got to be a supernatural fast. As a church, I just want to put this out there. We are not advocating that you go on that kind of fast, okay? Newsflash, you're not Moses. You haven't been called to write the Ten Commandments. And you will die if you don't drink water, okay? So we are not asking you to go on an absolute supernatural fast. But that is one of the kinds of fasts that we see in the Bible. The second kind of fast we see in the Bible is more of a normal kind of fast. And that's a fast where you abstain from food, but you do have fluid. You do have water. Okay, we did a three-day fast as a church 2017, January 2017. And, um, and, and that is kind of, you know, when you don't have any food, but you do have water. We are not advocating that you do that for 21 days. Okay, hear me on this one. We're not advocating that you do that for 21 days. And in fact, people who do fast for maybe four or five days, if you speak to them and you ask them about fasting, they would not have started on a five-day fast they would have gradually worked up like a muscle. They might have done missed uh, breakfast and lunch and then had an evening meal. Then they might have done 24 hours. Then they would have stretched themselves to two days. And then they would have perhaps tried three days. We are not asking you to go on water for 21 days, okay? That's not what we're saying. The third kind of fast that we see in the Bible is a more of a partial fast. And this is giving up some kind of food, but not all kind of food. And uh, an example of that is, for example, the Daniel fast. That's an example of a partial fast. Now, some people are looking at doing a partial fast over this 21 days, and that's what we're encouraging you to do. You might wanna look at the Daniel fast. You might decide, actually, I'm gonna give up caffeine and sugar. That could be one. Other people are saying I'm gonna give up meat and alcohol, um, or maybe you're just going to not have your breakfast and lunch but have a small evening meal. A partial fast is what we're asking people if you wanna join us with for the next 21 days. But it is about giving up food. Can I say this? It's going to probably upset people. If you're thinking of giving up social media as a a fast, giving up social media because it's taken over your life is probably a good thing to do. But fasting is about food because food is one of the primary things that we need. Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if you know about it, food is one of those basic human needs. You might argue that social media is a basic human need. I would argue to you, you probably need to look at your relationship with social media, if that is your case, okay? Yeah. Um, but I think most of us, if we're honest, could do some kind of partial fast. Most of us could probably give up caffeine without any problem. Well, we might have some problem, but without any medical problem. Um, most of us could think of something that we could give up that would be food-related. But I do want to caveat this with a bit of a medical caveat, okay? If you have a medical condition, maybe you're on treatment for things and it's really important that you have good nutrition and good food, we are not encouraging you to fast through that. Okay, if you have something like diabetes and you skip meals and you get a hypo and it makes you really unwell, we are not advocating you to fast like that. If you're pregnant, we are not advocating you to fast. Although you could perhaps, well you should have given up alcohol I guess anyway, but you could perhaps give up something Um, whilst you're pregnant. There's probably something that you can give up. You know, similarly when you're breastfeeding. And also, let me say this, this is really important, church. If you suffer or have suffered with any kind of eating disorder, whereby restricting your food or anything to do with food is going to trigger you to deteriorate or trigger you to go back to that again, Jesus wants us healed and whole. The motive for fasting is not doing it because everyone else is doing it. It's doing it to worship. And it's not going to be worship to God if you end up triggering yourself into disordered eating again. That's not God's heart for us. God's heart is not wanting you to suffer so he hears your prayer more, more, more clearly. That is not what God does. God is looking at our heart because his heart is already waiting. He's madly in love with us. He's not somebody who's wanting us to hit ourselves over the back and punish ourselves as much as possible. And then maybe you'll answer my prayer. That's not how God works. Okay. And that's not fasting. It's not a manipulation of God. It's not twisting his arm. Our motive is to worship him. And so if there's anything like that that is in, you know, that you're struggling with, we do not want you to put yourself in a vulnerable position. I hope that that is clear, okay? Is that clear? Good. So that is the fifth point. We grow when we expect to grow. What are you expecting uh, to get out of this next series? And if the band could just come up, we're just going to go on to the sixth law of spiritual growth. So the first one is we grow when we feed on God's word. The second one is we grow when we learn in different ways. The third one is we grow when we develop spiritual habits. The fourth one is we grow when we help other people to grow. The fifth one is we grow when we expect to grow. And the sixth one is we grow when we commit to grow. Do you know the epitome of somebody who has yet to grow up, who is immature, is somebody who just really cannot commit to anything. People who can't commit to a job, they can't commit to a relationship, they can't commit to this. That's, for me anyway, is the epitome of what immaturity looks like. And so if we want to grow, if we want to not be people that are shaken by the waves but are steadfast, if we want to grow into all that Christ has in store for us, then actually what we need to do is not just those first five things, but we also need to say, I commit to grow. I commit to it. And I just want us to take a moment right now to just think practically, I'm not asking you to th- commit to something for a year, I'm not asking you to commit to something for um, ages, I'm asking you over these next six, seven weeks, what are you gonna commit to? Maybe it's I'm gonna commit to be here every Sunday. I'm gonna commit to take myself out of this auditorium into the lounge and sign up for a, connect, uh, for a C3 group and I'm gonna do that as quick as possible before I feel the fear. I'll do it before the fear sets in. That's what I'm gonna to commit to do. Maybe you're gonna to commit to explore some kind of partial fast and to spend some time thinking and planning about how that could work and set yourself up for success. But I guess I finish where I started. Do you, do you wanna grow up? Do you want to grow up? Do you wanna be the same next year as you are this year, or do you want to change? We don't have to totally radically transform. Do you know every single change along the way, God's pleased with, God smiles at, God's cheering us on, saying, come on, you can do it, you can do it. I see you, I see you. You can change, not through ourselves, because, hey, when we try to change, it's hard. But with God, all things are possible through Christ who strengthens us.